At work, at home, or on the road, you deserve great coffee. A Heine Brothers coffee subscription plan gives you top quality organic and fair trade coffee delivered right to your door or office automatically. You select the frequency, the quantity, and the variety of coffee, and Heine Brothers will take care of the rest, shipping included. Also makes a great gift, so order online at HeineBrosCoffee.com. That's H-E-I-N-E-B-R-O-S-C-O-F-F-E-E.com forward slash subscription and use the offer code the past for five dollars off any gift subscription welcome to the past and the curious with your host mick sullivan that's me i'm mick sullivan and we are a proud member of Kids Listen, a grassroots organization of awesome people making awesome shows for awesome kids and awesome anybody who wants to listen. This is episode 12 of The Past and the Curious, and oh boy, are you in for a treat. It's a doozy. It's all about spies. We've got one spy, Miss Kate Warren from the Civil War. You're going to hear that story told to you by our friend Kelly Moore. We've also got a spy, maybe. His name was John Honeyman, and he was from the Revolutionary War. I'm going to tell you that story, but it's before I got sick with this cold. We also have Amber Estes Thieneman singing one of my favorite songs, I'm Confessing That I Love You. Who's the northern girl who can pretend to be a southern belle? Kate! And who's the girl who can save old honest Abe? Kate! And who's the girl who'll dress like a man if that's part of the plan? Shut your mouth! Come on now, I'm only talking about Kate! Kate! It's hard to imagine the feeling Kate must have felt when she heard details about the plan to assassinate Abraham Lincoln. But whatever they were, Kate couldn't let her feelings show. She couldn't let on even a bit. For all these people knew, she wasn't Kate Warren at all, but instead a southern belle with a deep drawl who agreed with the plan 100%. As she bounced around at the fancy party from person to person, enchanting each one with a sweet charm and a rich personality, she put bits and pieces of the plan together. But there was more than met the eye, as they say. Kate was not a southern belle. Kate was a spy. She and Alan Pinkerton, the head of the Pinkerton Detective Agency, were committed to keeping Lincoln alive and getting him safely to Washington, D.C. Now, this wasn't 1865, when Abraham Lincoln would be assassinated in Ford's Theater by John Wilkes Booth. This was the beginning of 1861, and Abraham Lincoln wasn't even the official president yet. The first shots of the Civil War had yet to ring out. In America at this time, major cities were connected by railroad lines and telegraph cables. 
both of which were whizzing with people and information in a tizzy about the man elected to be president and the southern state's strong desire to secede. That is, to leave the country and start a new one of their own. Lincoln's win was a bit of a surprise to many, and he won the election largely because two other candidates split most of the votes, leaving him enough to win. This win did not go over well with Southerners. Some were making plans to leave the Union. Others were making plans to kill Lincoln. There were threats of shooting, stabbing, poison, and, according to the Smithsonian, even a threat to feed him. Gross alert. Gross alert. Gross alert. This is not a test. This is not a test. This is gross. To feed Abraham Lincoln spider-filled dumplings. Ugh. Try not to think too much about that one. Yeesh. President-elect Lincoln left his home in Springfield, Illinois, and headed east aboard a train on a whistle-stop tour of major cities on the way to the capital. When he arrived in D.C., he would take the oath of office and officially become the 16th president. But all along the way, he would be exposed. In each city at which the train was scheduled to stop, he had plans to meet people, give speeches on the challenges of the future, and eat at official banquets. Hopefully the dumplings at these banquets would be just filled with cheese. Still, if anyone was wishing to make good on their threats to take his life, well, they'd have plenty of opportunities. This is why the Pinkerton Detective Agency got involved. Alan Pinkerton was the first police detective in the city of Chicago and a staunch abolitionist. According to legend, his home was a stop on the Underground Railroad. Around the year 1850, he began the Pinkerton Detective Agency. In the years ahead, during the Civil War, he and many of his employees would infiltrate the Confederate ranks by posing undercover as Confederate soldiers, friends, and officers. But before that, he was asked to head a security effort to protect Lincoln. And one of the biggest parts of that plan was Kate Warren, that lady posing as the Southern Belle. She was the first female private detective in American history. A commonly told story says that she answered a help-wanted ad in the paper for the Pinkerton Agency. Some say the ad was for a secretary position that was already filled, Others say she was never interested in the secretary position at all and was ready to prove a woman could be a perfect fit for the detective job. In either case, she was a perfect fit indeed, capable of blending in, adapting her appearance, changing her voice, and even passing as a male soldier on occasion. She was so good, in fact, that she eventually developed an entire force of women spies and detectives for the Pinkerton Agency, which she oversaw. Well, Kate was a large reason why the Pinkerton Agency found out about the plot to assassinate Lincoln, and she also played a large role in getting him safely to D.C. It was in Baltimore, Maryland, where there was a large group of people who wanted Maryland to secede, to leave the country. Many of these people were militant, or willing to fight for that belief, and killing Abraham Lincoln was the dastardly way they wanted to change the world. Luckily for everyone, Kate uncovered their highly organized and choreographed plot. The president's schedule was well known, 
and the would-be assassins took advantage of this. His train would be leaving Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and heading to the ultimate destination in Washington, D.C. He wasn't scheduled to speak nor meet and greet in Baltimore, but he would have to get off his train for a short while. Because of the layout of the city, he would be required to exit his original vehicle, then take a short carriage ride to the Camden Street Station. It was about a mile away. Then he'd need to exit the carriage and board the new train that would take him to the capital. It was here that the attack was planned. The assassins understood that Lincoln would travel with security, and there would be a police presence to add to his protection. When Lincoln arrived by carriage to the train that would take him to Washington, he would need to walk a short distance to the entrance. It was at this time that plotters would instigate a fight further down the platform. Several members would appear to get into a brawl where Lincoln's guards could see it. This fight was only a distraction, though. They expected many of Lincoln's protectors to rush towards the fight to break it up. And when they did rush off, another unseen group of plotters would descend on Lincoln and his remaining guards with knives drawn. They would not rest until the president's blood was spilled. Luckily, Kate and Allen figured this out. So after Lincoln gave his scheduled speech in Harrisburg, he left early, not on the train he was scheduled to take. Kate again changed her identity and reserved a sleeping car on a different train waiting in Baltimore. She told the train operators it was for her sick brother and family who would need the entire car to themselves. So now, hours ahead of schedule, Lincoln made the carriage ride between the two trains. But to further guarantee that he would not be recognized, he chose not to wear his famous stovepipe hat, but instead wrapped himself in a shawl and wore a beaver fur hat he had been given by friends. At the time he received the gift, he had been a bit confused as it was not something he had ever worn before, nor expected to wear in the future. But it was the perfect disguise for such an otherwise recognizable man. In recounting the tale, he said, I put on my soft hat and joined my friends without being recognized by strangers, for I was not the same man. Lincoln secretly made it to Washington with no one the wiser. When the assassins waited in the train station for the tall, Kentucky-born man to make his way to his transfer train, they were certainly disappointed, having been thwarted by Pinkerton's team, led by Kate Warren. The History List is a great resource to find out about the historic sites and events that you might need to plan your next trip. And they have History Nerd shirts, sweatshirts, caps, stickers, and more for history lovers and all sorts of unique items from historic sites. For being a listener of The Past and the Curious, when you go to thehistorylist.com and make a purchase of $25 or more, you'll save $5 on your first purchase when you enter The Past and the Curious. All one word, no spaces, no ampersands, no nothing. The Past and the Curious as the discount code. Thank you for listening to The Past and the Curious, and thank you to our new friends, The History List. 
Well, would you look at that? It is high time for spy time. Oh, wait, no. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. Time, time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. Yes, indeed, it's quiz time again. Which children's author is known to have been a spy for the British during World War II? Oh, well, Roald Dahl, the author of Matilda, James and the Giant Peach, The Fantastic Mr. Fox, and my favorite, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, was a British intelligence officer in Washington, D.C. He sent many secrets to Winston Churchill about America's intentions before officially joining the war. It is said that he also alerted the British to America's plans to land a man on the moon decades before it was achieved. Question number two. There is a famous nickname given to particularly romantic men, which comes from the last name of an Italian spy. What is it? Giacomo Casanova was not just a romantic fellow, but also a noted spy who had encounters with Mozart, Rousseau, and Voltaire, among others. It is because he ran in circles with such notable people that he was a useful spy for the Inquisitors in his home of Venice. And the last question. Meriwether Lewis and Thomas Jefferson created a secret code to communicate through letters during Lewis and Clark's Expedition West. Jefferson's code relied on a code word to understand the otherwise nonsensical messages. Their code word was a food that is actually a species of thistle. Care to guess what it was? As it turns out, they never actually had to use it, but it was a smart safety measure. And if they had, their coded messages would look terribly confusing and indecipherable to anyone else. Understanding the code and using the word artichoke, they could easily communicate in secret. If you are interested by things like secret codes, this is a really easy one to wrap your head around. We encourage you to go to the library. If you check out a book about Thomas Jefferson and Meriwether Lewis, it's likely to be mentioned in there. And there are children's book versions that actually explain the code very well. Check it out. John Honeyman's betrayal was flagrant. He was loyal to the king and not his own nation. But Washington knew he was a spy, so his soldiers kept a watchful eye. But only the two knew he was a double agent. The Continental soldiers handled John Honeyman roughly as they brought him into the small house serving as General Washington's headquarters. They pushed him through the door and forced him onto a chair looking at the fireplace. The fire inside was roaring, which was necessary because the temperature outside was well below freezing. Just hours ago, John had been thrown to the snowy ground when the men caught up with him and he was now both sore and cold. We caught him in a clearing 
one of the men said. His name's Honeyman, and he's the loyalist who's been selling beef and telling secrets to the British and Hessian army across the river in Trenton. George Washington showed no emotion. Earlier this week, in December of 1776, he had sent a letter to his brother confessing to the belief that the American army was falling apart, and unless something miraculous were to happen, he would lose support for the war, and ultimately, America's independence from England. He did not wish to fail, but at times he believed the odds were too greatly stacked against him, but the men would never know his heart to look at his face. He didn't say much at all about the man now sitting in his office. Instead, he asked that everyone leave him alone with John Honeyman. There was some hesitation. The soldiers did not want to put Washington in danger by leaving him alone with a known enemy. Washington insisted that he would be fine and that he wished to speak with this loyalist beef salesman and spy in private. So the soldiers waited beyond the door with an ear perked just in case there was any hint of danger. But the voices inside remained low and inaudible. Finally, Washington opened the door and instructed them to jail Honeyman under lock and key in a small building on the property. Guards should stand watch. As night fell, John Honeyman huddled himself in the cold building, hoping to stay warm. It shouldn't be too long, though, he thought to himself. When he saw the glow and felt the distant warmth of more flames sometime that night, he knew it was time to leave. Nearby, a haystack had caught fire. The flames created quite a distraction, and soldiers from all around, including the men standing guard over John, ran to the scene, leaving him alone in the makeshift jail. Seconds later, he would escape through the unlocked door, running as fast as he could in the direction of the Delaware River, and ultimately the town of Trenton, New Jersey. When he made it to Trenton the next day, it was Christmas, and he immediately found Colonel Rawl. By now, John the beef seller was a recognizable face in the town, which was populated almost entirely by the Prussian army, a group of German soldiers who were being paid by the British to help fight against the rebelling Americans. You could call them mercenaries. John had sold them beef for months, and he also reported on what he had seen of the American movements. It was winter, a time when armies in this age typically went into winter quarters to rest, recoup, and prepare for the battles the spring campaign would bring. But also, Colonel Rawl and his Hessians were hoping to celebrate Christmas, as was their custom. However, there had been murmurs that George Washington and his ragtag army of shoeless farmers and boys were planning an attack. One might guess that an impending military threat can make truly enjoying a Christmas party difficult. And this is what John Honeyman had come to tell him about. Rawl was delighted to hear of his escape from prison after confronting George Washington himself. And Rawl was even more delighted to hear that the American soldiers were underclothed, underfed, and unhappy, certainly in no shape to stage an attack. But he was most excited to learn that there were nearly no supplies, nor boats, to help them if they were going to even try. They'd be stuck on the Pennsylvania side of the Delaware River for the foreseeable future 
potentially the war would end soon and Washington's sorry army would disband and go home. So a Merry Christmas it would be. And it's true what they say. There ain't no party like a Hessian Christmas party. But while the Hessians were eating beef, drinking rum, and wishing each other a frolisch Weihnachten, George Washington was sneaking across the river. And he wasn't alone. He was going to crash their party with 2,400 of his closest friends. It has since gone down in history as one of the most daring, most dangerous, and most exciting decisions made by any commander. Beginning around midnight on Christmas, the Americans boarded boats they had spent weeks collecting and hiding from the riverbanks, and they silently, stealthily transported 2,400 men, not to mention large heavy cannon and even horses, across the Delaware River. It was pitch dark, snowing, and there were giant chunks of ice floating around the boats, presenting dangerous obstacles the entire time. Yet, four hours later, the army stood on the New Jersey bank, allowing none to pass without the secret password. Victory or death. Soon, they headed towards Trenton. Upon arriving, they found a town of sleepy, groggy, or otherwise indisposed Prussian soldiers. They were partied out on Christmas, and though they tried to rally in the town square, the Americans shut them down and successfully captured the town and hundreds of soldiers without losing a single man. In the next days, they headed towards Princeton, New Jersey, where the British Army, who had found out about the American victory, was planning a respond attack. The Americans surprised them too, and Washington landed his most important victories. The American cause was alive for New Year. And though the war would go on for many more years to come, the American people now saw Washington as the strong leader they needed. Christmas night of 1776 turned the tide for the losing army. As for John Honeyman, not much is truly known. According to a story told by his wife, he had pledged his support to Washington many years before being brought into that room and left alone with George. No one knows what happened there, but it is rumored that John had only been pretending to be a loyalist all along to earn the favor and trust of the British and Prussians. His pledge to Washington would finally come to pass that day when George instructed him to stage an escape from the Americans. Washington would aid this by creating the diversion of the flaming haystack. When the distraction occurred, Honeyman would find his locked door unlocked. And he was to escape directly to Colonel Rawl, who would be hungry for information about the Americans. Once there, Honeyman was to tell Rawl that the Americans were in no shape for battle and that he had nothing to worry about on Christmas. Of course, as we know, Washington was planning the strike all along, and perhaps the mission by Honeyman was just the thing he needed to guarantee his success. It took the Prussians off of their guard so the Americans could sweep in and surprise them. This, like most spy missions, is very difficult to verify. They were secret, after all. Many believe this story is not true at all. Some say it was made up later by the family so that they didn't carry the stigma of being loyalists after the war. There is evidence on both sides of the argument, and it's difficult to say what is true. However, 
George Washington was famous for using intelligence, disinformation, and spies throughout the war. There are countless tales of deceit that aided the American cause, which often led to George being called the first American spymaster. Each spy story is shrouded in mystery and perhaps apocryphal. That's a word that we address in our food episode. However, the tales are a great way to learn about the people, places, struggles, and sacrifices of the time. And it is a very interesting time. Two other revolutionary spies we hope to include in a future show are the former slave-turned-spy James Armistead Lafayette and a New England Quaker woman named Lydia Darrow. She claimed to have successfully acted as a spy for Washington without ever having to lie, which was starkly against her religion. So consider yourself challenged to learn more about these people.
Thank you all so much for listening. This is Past in the Curious, episode 17. Find us on social media. Consider giving on Patreon. Go find our friends at Kids Listen. And be nice. And oh yeah, we were in the London Times. That was incredible. Thank you, everyone.